Computer, initialize Holosuite. Welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 5, Episode 15, by Inferno's Light. Before we continue, you can find us on Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and X as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. Absolutely, and as I say, every single week, and probably will say every single week until we're done, um, <laughs> you should find us and follow us because we are a good time. And uh, like I said, you know, we're probably the best, um, totally dedicated to Deep Space Nine podcast that you're going to find out there. Um, we're the only ones I think that would do like the deep dive on the show itself. There are several others. They talk about a lot of other aspects of the show, behind the scenes stuff actors perspectives whatever we're just really focused on like the storyline and as it pertains to the greater world building of star trek of course um so without further ado uh, of course we're going to get into the episode but before we do that actually so i shouldn't have said without further ado um (laughs) we like to check in of course so david how is your week going week's been good work was better ish i was hoping for some people to come back who had been in last saturday They weren't in today, about this whole week yet, so hopefully it'll work out, but we'll see. But anyway, uh, the book I finished reading as of yesterday, Masters of the Air, uh, the uh, the Apple TV, uh, Apple, what is it, Apple Plus, TV Plus, whatever they call it. Apple Plus, yeah. Yeah, Apple Plus. Uh, The show came out as of yesterday, or at least the first two episodes. I did see the first episode yesterday. Um, I don't think it's going to be the same quality as Band of Brothers. I mean, I think Band of Brothers was kind of a lightning bolt moment. lightning in the just, bottle yeah yeah just so good uh the problem is is that this book right here is focusing on a much wider area of of to talk about than band of brothers band of brothers is about easy company and that's th- that's about them and their experiences over the course of about a year with their training uh also rolled in so it's a great book i enjoyed it the second half i got more into than the first half because it was just kind of hard to kind of get into it uh, but by the time the second half was going, it was clear what the was being talked about, um, especially the bombing. I mean, there was like the bombing of Dresden. I'm sure you've heard of the bombing of Dresden. It's uh, the British in particular had a view of bombing where it was like, we're going to go total war and we're going to hit civilians and we're not going to make a big fuss about it. You know, we're going to bomb and we're going to firebomb uh, the German cities. You know, because they had been hit by the Blitz, uh, the Blitz of London. And so they were like, yeah, what comes around, what goes around, comes around. And we're going to make sure y'all never forget it. You know, you started it, basically. The Americans were more like, no, let's hit, like, strategic targets. Um, But they still ended up having a lot of, you know, killing of civilians and talking about how just terrible war is. So it was a very interesting book. I'm curious to see how the show translates all that. Um I had read Catch-22 before, but I didn't realize it was about the bombing, or at least when I was reading Masters of the Air, it mentioned Catch-22 as a book that, you know, kind of portrayed the fictional aspects of it. 
I had read it before, and I've just started yeah. reading it again today. I remember really enjoying it. I read it in college. I mean, it's very funny. It's a dark, it's a black comedy of all black yeah. comedies. Yeah. You, so yeah. You've read it too? Yes. I, I had to, uh, I read it in high school, actually. Um, yeah. I remember it quite well. I still have my copy, as a yeah. matter of fact. Yeah. Um, haven't, so I, haven't read it in a while. Um, yeah. But yeah. Well, as of today, I got to chapter major, 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 <laughs> which I remember the first time reading it like that really kind of cluing me in that like yeah. the ridiculousness of everything. Um, but yeah, looking forward to reading it again because it was just like, oh, yeah, I just read like the historical version of what was going on. Um, to be very clear, Masters of the Air focuses on the on the bomber squadrons coming out of England, whereas Catch-22 focuses on guys who are basically in Italy or at least their, mm. their base is in Italy, but same premise applies. Um, so yeah, uh, it's, it's, that's what I read this week. Looking forward to it. Um, one of the fun things though, I, I texted you when I was reading this, you know, you've heard of six degrees of separation of Kevin Spacey, right? Uh, six degrees of Kevin Bacon is the Kevin name Bacon. of the game. It's not Kevin Spacey. Yes. Kevin Bacon. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Kevin Bacon. Six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Well, I have four degrees of Star Trek, to napoleon now because as i was reading masters of the air turns out there was a freedom fighting force called the maquis it's a a real historical uh, group they were french freedom fighters um and that is the exact same name that star trek uses for obviously the maquis they are um, the direct inspiration for the Maquis in Star exactly. Trek, as a matter of fact yes and it was fun to like read the word and be like wait a minute i know that word and like, look yeah. it up on Star Trek and be like, I gotta make sure. Like, find, I read yeah. the Maquis thing on uh, was it Memory Alpha, and was like, yeah, this was inspired by the French Resistance group. I was like, I just read about that. And Maquis is a reference to a certain type of Corsican bush or like landscaping, and Corsica is the island that Napoleon came from. So I feel like all of my life in the last four months has suddenly converged to like, <laughs> like layer upon layer, uh, making connections so that was a lot of fun like in trek one connections moment, that's what i yeah. told you to call them trek yeah. connections trek connections to world war ii slash napoleon slash history so yeah it was a lot of fun reading that um but yeah um yeah so the the uh book i'll be reading obviously is catch 22 but then after that i'll read um slaughterhouse five which i have not read before which is um inspired by kurt vonnegut who wrote slaughterhouse five was there for the bombing of dresden so i want to read that one after i read this one it's a sh much shorter book uh just uh, again because i'm just reading about it right now and s see how that one kind of ties in as you know it's, a, it's considered a classic i've never read it before so those are the books i'll be reading for the next little bit and then um yeah i don't know like maybe uh so we have talked about doing the count of monte cristo i don't know if yes. you are still down for that I'm still down. I'm still down yeah. to do that. Uh, we've got a couple of things to knock out, though, before we can start that. Fair um, obviously, we have to get through um, uh, our next After Dark for uh, Nemesis Games. Yes. And then, once I think that once that's done, I'll be like, let's go ahead and take go. a break, and then we can do... Um, like or something. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. That'll be fine. 
Gotcha. Um, for those of you who are interested, because I found this out recently because I was um, trying, I've been trying to get my family members into the Expanse series. So like, I got my brother-in-law to at least begin listening to them. He's got the audio book. And so it got me curious as to like other ways to access the, the books. And Spotify right now has the first six books on audio for you to listen to. So if you're interested at all, you can listen to them right now. I don't believe it costs anything. I looked it up and I was able to access them right away. Um, now, I don't know if there's another additional cost if you because I have a premium subscription because my family uses my um, my Spotify, you know, and my, my, my daughter and stuff like that. So uh, we have the, uh, the premium subscription and it was just there and we accessed it and, and no problem. I don't know if that's going to be the same if you just have the regular plan or not, but if you're interested at all, they have the first six books there. And from what I could tell, they're going to do the other ones as well. So okay. if you're a person who, you know, um, reading, you know, you just feel like you don't have time to just sit and read, uh, but you've got like long car rides, long commutes, anything like that. And you want to get caught up or follow along with us or anything like that check out spotify they've got the books available i'm sure they probably have them also on um you know apple and amazon and all the other ones anywhere that you do podcasts they probably have a version that's available for you if it's already on uh spotify that i can mm -hmm. tell but yeah that might be something that might be accessible to some people and um um i know that i was uh, like i went back and i was reading through parts of uh, Nemesis Games again and like just to follow along with the book to see if it was you know right and it is right but I did find one problem the guy pronounces Abasarala's name differently I'm not going to say it's wrong yeah. I'm just going to say it's differently and it's because of course we watched the show before we ever read the books or had anything else so we heard the way it was pronounced on the show and so it could just be that I, I have accepted that's the way that's supposed to be said maybe there's another legitimate way that it, or not legitimate but I guess a different way it could be pronounced in a different language idiom or whatever mm -hmm. but um, all that to say while I accept that it's different I don't like it. So, <laughs> um, so just be aware of that. Cause that was kind of jarring. But other than that, it was, yeah, it's a spot on. He, the guy's just, he's reading it, you know? So there you go. So there's an option for you. Um, right. as for me this week, I, um, you know, I've been talking about it forever, finishing up this move. I did that. I know that I've been saying I've been moving all the stuff out and whatever else, but today was not moving day. Today was turning keys day. So I'm officially done. Um, with all of it, absolutely all of it, no going back. I'm so relieved. I can now focus on changing and decorating and renovating and all that stuff that's to come. Um, of course, the weather here sucks. It's cold, it's rainy, it's foggy, and it just makes it very hard to be outside and do anything, you know? So, um, but we'll get there. I, I've got to, you know, remember to be patient. Again, we just did this. I mean, at the, at the beginning of the month. We haven't even gotten to the full end of the month yet. And, you know, so I'm just I'm just very eager to be, like, in my space. That's all. Right. Um, my brief update, work is going well. Kid is, going, uh, is doing well. Um, we just went to what they call Dude's Night at her school. So it was just a thing for all the fathers to come and meet oh. teachers and strange name but okay yeah <laughs> well, it was it dad's was, night uh... right I, I don't know I, I don't know why they called it that but it was that's what they called it 
And so we went, and you know, it's a time to meet teachers, and you played some games, and they had different areas of the school set up for stuff, like they had an archery section, basketball, they had one of those giant game truck trailer things set up for the kids, and then there were various other stations where you could do puzzles, build Legos, and then they served, you know, drinks and pizza, you know, standard, you know, kid fare, you know. And, uh, yeah, that was... um, that was interesting. Just, you know, um, a lot of people and a lot of little kids and it, my daughter and I, it was a nice way to realize how similar we are to each other because, <laughs> you know, like I was looking at things and I'd be standing back and like, I'm not, I'd really, I sit in my head like, I'm not touching that at all. Those kids, germs, not doing it. And then, you know, I'd get this little, you know, tug on my, you know, my shirt or whatever. And be like, what's, what's up? And she'd be like, it's dirty. I don't want to. I don't want to touch. It. I don't want to go over there. I was like, yes, yes. I, I'm so glad that you're you're in agreement. Yeah. Let's just go. It's not. They're breathing all over. I was like, I'm so glad you saw that. Yes, you're absolutely right. <laughs> Let's go. You know. So, um, but we. I mean, we enjoyed it. We got to do the archery thing and uh, played basketball a little bit and all that. Um, but yeah, other than that, we are pretty solid here. So, and pretty excited about. Um, what's to come in 2024. So, gotcha. but we're not here to talk about all those things. We are here to talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine by Inferno's Light, this excellent episode in the fifth season. Really kind of, like I said before, when we started uh, in Purgatory Shadow, the the coming into the full story of the Dominion and the build of the Dominion and the impact the Dominion is having on things in the Alpha Quadrant here. So um, this episode is exciting. It is uh, definitely a very, you know, uh, complex episode. Lots of things to go over here. Um, did you want to do the recap tonight or did you want me to continue? Uh, why don't you finish it up? Yeah, let's do it. Of course, uh, I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> I can do it if you want. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't mind. Either way. I'll... Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> okay. So this is a follow-up, obviously, to uh, In Purgatory Shadow. And as you'll notice, you know, Deep Space Nine likes to do those where they don't necessarily do, like, a, a part one, part two. They don't call them that. They are those things, but they don't necessarily call them that. Um, but, yes, this is the, the next part, the ending here. And we um, start this one basically back on the um, internment camp. And we see that um, Garrick... Worf, Bashir, Martok, all still there, and Worf is getting ready to have to um, begin fighting. Uh, they figure out the way that an Auburn Tain had been sending, uh, was able to get a message out, and they need someone to continue that work. And the only person who seems to have the skills and uh, the, the, the physique to get in there is Garrick. So the plan becomes for Garrick to modify the same communication system that an Auburn used to contact the runabout, which they uh, know is still in orbit somehow. They know that it's there, and they're going to use it to trigger the emergency beam out and beam everybody up, and then they're going to hightail it out. Now, I'm just going to pause right here and briefly say why they think that their runabout is going to be enough to not only transport all of them up and get them away when the same runabout got them captured just last episode, I don't know. But, hey, you know, we're, we're not going to look too hard at that. Right. Um, so, anyway, uh, that's, that's going to be their plan. 
Worf is singled out. He's brought to the ring, and it's basically going to be the Jem'Hadar learning how to fight Klingons. Um, back on the station, or actually in the first part of the episode two, um, Dukat, we see that uh, Dukat in his captured Klingon bird of prey, the Defiant, and a couple of runabouts, again, why, I don't know, <laughs> have decided to confront that massive wave of of uh, Jem'Hadar warships that had come through the wormhole. Right. We find out here that the saboteur who stopped them from being able to collapse the wormhole had the opposite effect of the wormhole. And I guess this is what I was alluding to last episode. I, I just like, I so mixed them together. Yeah, right. Yeah. So his the sabotage that went through it made the wormhole wormhole more, more stable. Therefore, any future plans to destabilize and collapse the wormhole wouldn't work. Right. Um, that was the result of the sabotage. Right. Um, so they're now going to confront this wave of Jem'Hadar warships, and just before any fighting really starts, the warships turn and head towards Cardassia. Ducat's ship takes off in pursuit, it seems, but then he messages Kira and says, oh, he's, you know, he's joining them. And Kira is, of course, understandably shocked, and to which Ducat says, well, us on the same side never really made a lot of sense, did it? And I was like, uh, no, jerk. So he now takes off. Um, once he's back in uh, on Cardassia, he makes this grand speech about how uh, they should, that all Cardassians should embrace joining the Dominion and that they have nothing to fear from the Dominion and only the people who have anything to fear from the combined Dominion Cardassian military might are their enemies. And he makes a vow on his son's life and on his, about his son's birthday saying that by his son's birthday in five days, all that Cardassia has lost, they will regain. Right. Um, later on, we see that he also messages Cisco and says, hey, by the way, that station that you love so much, um, that's Cardassian, and uh, I'm going to take it back. Right. And Cisco's like, yeah, okay, whatever, shut up. <laughs> you know, I'm just, uh, just paraphrasing, yeah. but uh, that's pretty much it. Um, so now they are all kind of preparing for the imminent threat that now the combined might of the Cardassians and the Dominion um, may pose. They start doing more blood screenings, they start doing random phaser sweeps, and they increase security on the station because they know now that they're, or they suspect that there is a changeling on the station. Um, little do they know that changeling is Dr. Bashir, who's running around here just doing all kinds of crazy stuff and also being very oddly like chill, which I guess should have been the main vibe everybody was picking up on as to why it was him who was the changeling, because right. he's like being intentionally nonchalant and right. conversational. Like yeah. even O'Brien remarks at one time, you know, he's, because he tells O'Brien he's ordered some darts and they'll be in next week. And O'Brien's like, we're about to about face that. galactic war and you're talking about darts, you know? So just little things like that. Meanwhile, we still have Worf and uh, Martok, fighting on the internment camp uh, and Worf is uh Worf is doing it man Worf is he's battling it out we see at one point he or we hear at one point that he has taken on five separate opponents and he's won every time now he's steadily getting beat up don't get me wrong right. they've broken his ribs he's all bloodied and bruised you know he's he's messed up but he's still making it and all while this is going on whenever Worf is out there fighting and so forth 
uh, Garrick is deep inside the wall um, trying to fix the um, communications relay to beam them up. Um, turns out Garrick also suffers from acute claustrophobia, and uh, this is really wreaking havoc with him being in this very confined tight space with failing light and electric shocks and so forth. Um, he starts to have panic attacks. They try to get him to take a few breaks. He does, but it just becomes increasingly worse for him to deal with. Uh, fun fact, the actor who plays um, Garrick, Mr. Andrew Robinson, actually also suffers from claustrophobia and had a heck of a time filming those scenes. So, oh uh, yeah. So if you thought, man, he's really doing a great job, he really was, because apparently that whole set they built up was quite claustrophobic, and he um, yeah. had some difficulties doing it. Lovely. So, okay. um, so yeah. So while they're still trying to affect their escape, um, and, and Morph is still fighting and so forth, the station is rallying and trying to get um, ready for the incoming uh, threat. There's a, a Federation task force that's on its way, but they're they're like four light years out at one point. Then all of a sudden, the Klingon ships decloak, and Chancellor Gowron is there with several Klingon ships. Um, they were probably the ones that were in Cardassian space and had been fighting for a while and had to pull back. Right. Um, and so they've come, come to kind of regroup on Deep Space Nine. At first, he says that they're just going to pull all the way back and fortify the, car, the Klingon borders and eventually just fight to the death. To which Cisco is like, well, why don't we join back up and make a stand here at Deep Space Nine instead of letting them push all the way into the heart of Klingon territory? At first, Galron's a little hesitant, but Cisco, of course, being Cisco, brings him around, and they reestablish the Kitama Accords, which we know at the beginning of season, was it season four? That the Kitama Accords were disbanded or were suspended right. by Gowron. Right. So we've gone almost a full year now without the Kitama Accords, and now they're back in place. Yeah, because Worf joined at season four. Season four, was, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So it's been about a year. Um, so now they've reestablished the Kitama Accords, and they're going to join, have their combined strength. The Federation fleet shows up. Now we have the Klingon fleet. And then, last but not least, a surprise group, the Romulans, show up <laughs> with a task force to join in the battle. So in classic Romulan style, they were probably monitoring everybody's communications. They probably knew yeah. all this was going on. And they were just waiting for something to kick off and then to yeah. pop up and be a part of it. Last to show so, up, first to leave. But hey, they're here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But, I mean, you got to appreciate the strength and numbers of the Alpha Quadrant. So now we've got the yeah. three major powers of the Alpha Quadrant, the Federation the Romulans and the Klingons have now all joined into this task force to defeat the um, Dominion. Right. So, um, you know, the battle's getting ready to start. They keep getting on these scans, and the scans are saying that the enemy is all around them, but no one can see them. No, there's no way to get a phaser lock or anything. And and even, you know, on the Defiant, Akira is talking about how confused they are and they're all trying to figure it out. And just at that moment, um on the on the internment camp base, um, Worf, who's been fighting the leader of the of the um Jem'Hadar, um, he's getting beat up. He's not winning this one. He probably would I, I maintain that he would have won it had he not 
fought seven yeah. other battles yeah. before. Yeah, you know, we are, man. We can talk about that. But yeah. yeah, yeah. But anyway, he's getting beat up. <laughs> he's but he's refusing to yield. He's refusing to give in. Um, the Jem'Hadar recognizes the warrior spirit of Worf, decides not to kill him, and yields instead. The Vorta, that's ultimately in charge, says to kill them both. But in that same instant, Garrick finally comes through. They're all able to beam up to the runabout and go Splitsville back to this the station. Um, They send a message off to the station um, from Dr. Bashir, which the station receives in that moment when they were reaching the crescendo of the potential battle. Cisco realizes that if they're getting a message from Bashir and their Bashir is no longer on the station, that the Bashir they've been dealing with must have been the changeling. They figure out where his last known location was, where he is. They send the Defiant after him. Um, The Defiant tries to shoot him down, but of course, he's been tinkering with the shields. So so the uh, um, the the th- which ship is it? The yes, Lakota or something. Uh, whichever one. The runabout shields hold. Um, doesn't blow up on the sh- first shot. So they warp in, use the tractor, pull it away from the Bajoran sun, where the bomb that was on the shuttle explodes, killing the changeling, blowing up the uh, the runabout. But otherwise, crisis averted. Turns out that all of this was an elaborate smoke and mirror subterfuge put together by the changelings. They wanted to draw the major federation and Klingon task force together all in one area so that when the detonation of the bomb inside the Bajoran sun went off, it would have wiped out the Bajorans, the uh, all the various alien races in their task force, and right. completely decimated anybody's ability to put up any kind of real resistance to the Dominion. Right. Um, but thanks to our intrepid officers here, it failed. Right. Um, we get one more call from Ducat to Cisco, kind of you know grandstanding, even in their weird defeat it's, yeah. I don't, I don't know. it's, it's kind of odd failure is like, more appropriate i guess not yeah per se but yeah yeah and he's just like oh good on you for snuffing out our our plan you know but uh it's not over and we'll be <laughs> back and uh you know that's that's it that's essentially the episode right um obviously that's a very condensed summarized version if you want to see the full episode and know all the details you should go watch this episode you should go watch both of them in purgatory shadow by inferno's light you should watch both of these they're great episodes and they're great episodes to watch back to back we've split it up because obviously we're doing a weekly broadcast but um you should go and watch them. You, you right. definitely enjoy them, and especially the the fight scenes. It's it's a great episode. Yeah. Um, and we're gonna get into the details here. So, um, there you go. So, David, as always, Mister First Time Viewer, what did you think of this episode? It is good. I will start by saying I felt it was a little anticlimactic because I felt like we were about to have a big battle. You know, the fleet was coming in from the end of the last episode through the wormhole. And then they zoom away, and by the end we have our giant Federation Klingon Romulan fleet build up, and that also doesn't amount to anything. Now, of course, it turns out that that's because the Dominion has a plan, which is great and interesting, but uh, I didn't have quite the action-filled episode that I had anticipated. Um, So, okay, alright, is what it is. I would also say that the twist in the previous episode that Dr. Bashir had been a changeling the whole time, at least for the last several, well, when O'Brien and Bashir are talking in the episode, it's been a month. Uh, So 
however long it is in the show. Um, so yeah, it is a little anticlimactic from the sense that I expected one thing and didn't quite get that, but still a lot of good stuff here, especially learning that Garrick is <laughs> got claustrophobia. Worf really proves himself as a warrior. Uh, Cisco is still commander, does a great job. All right, I mean, captain, but I mean, he's effectively the admiral of this whole fleet at this point. Like, the man needs yeah. to be promoted to admiral by now. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it's like there. The task force is coming to the station, and he is definitely going to be the man in charge. Coordinating, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I just feel like, and that's what a vice admiral is. Vice admirals are supposed to be the ones who are, like, on certain points. Like, there's the forward ad, there's the, uh, I don't know terminology properly but my understanding is vice admiral are supposed to be the guys who like hang back and support the front line but that means if you're on the front line then you're the guy <laughs> so anyway who cares but um yeah uh yeah i guess we have a lot to talk about but um but that's my, that was my first reaction it was like oh i expected you know an action-packed episode um but didn't get that quite and uh so yeah we got something a little bit different so I'm going to ask you, you know, um, since you did say this was a bit more of an anticlimactic episode for you, what would you say would be um, like your most disappointing moment then for this episode? Well, I should all I sh- that's a great question. What, should, what was I expecting versus what I got? So if I was expecting a big old gunfight, I have to say that having watched this long enough, if we had started off with a big gunfight at the beginning, that would have meant the whole episode would have just been. You know, like what would happen after that? The first five minutes, what would happen after that? So they had to find a way to fill in the space, fill in the story, and so they do that. There, like, there was story in this episode because we didn't have the big fight. Um, we didn't have one at the end either. But again, they did. They did more with the idea that there's a changeling on the station. He was about yeah. to do something drastic. Uh, I mean, the guy was going to his death. To blow up a sun. <laughs> the guy didn't have a didn't seem to have an exit strategy. I mean, maybe we didn't see his fan his plan for work out to full to, to its final conclusion. But um it's funny too that he still stays as Dr. Bashir when he's on the runabout. Like he's not Doesn't revert back into changeling shape. Yeah, I mean he or, doesn't, or doesn't have the changeling to. familiar. Yeah. I mean, he, he certainly doesn't have to, but yeah, you're right. It is weird that once he's incapacitated the crew of the runabout, he still looks like Bashir. It's like right. who are you wearing the mask for now yeah. at this point? You're <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're you have completed your task, you've taken over the runabout, you're leaving the station. Why do you still look like Dr. Bashir? Now, right. of course, the easy answer is that the to the makeup, the makeup and costuming for a person as a changeling was an expense they didn't necessarily need by having Sadiq play the part <laughs> twice. You know, I would um, be curious to see what you know Sadiq looks like when he's got that type of makeup on versus just being as. That would have been an interesting way to play it. <laughs> yeah. Is make him a cha- make him into a changeling. That would have been yeah. an interesting way to play yeah. it. We got, we got um, the Odo. What's what do the rest of them yeah. look like? What is yeah? So. Mm. Um, I mean, <laughs> the funniest part though, with the whole, uh, the changeling being Bashir was they should have learned, <laughs> remember, don't they remember what happened at the end of season three when that changeling was impersonating the ambassador on the defiant and then it turned into Bashir for a time and faked the blood tests. Um, like 
when but Dr. Bashir, Bashir seems to be a favorite to become yes. a changeling. Well, I basically it was like that was the whole time back in the, at the end of season three that was basically foreshadowing that yeah the best person for the changelings to turn into is Doctor Bashir. He can fake all of the tests that need to be done. Mm-hmm. So when he's the one who's like, we need to go test for changelings. I mean, he wasn't he wasn't like doing his fist. But he was certainly being like, oh, yeah. He was, he, he was the one who suggested it. Yeah, he yeah. was the first one who brought like, that up. Exactly. Like, Sounds like another round of blood screenings is in order. And they were like, what? Yeah. He's like, well, yeah, why not? You know, and it's just like, <laughs> yeah. which. That tipped him off a bit, being like, right. what do you mean? Which clearly shows he's also figured out, like, the changings have clearly figured out a way to beat the blood screenings. Yes. Which we've never really seen what that is, because, I mean, there was a suggestion that they must be, you know, draining their victim dry. But he can't have been, because we know that Bashir is alive and he's also very far away. Right. He doesn't even have like Bashir in like a stasis field or something where you can go and get a blood sample or something. So they've right. clearly figured out another way to do this and we right. never know what that is. Right. So I thought that was weird that we yeah. don't, I mean like this is a great opportunity for them to have highlighted how that was done and we right. didn't get that. Yeah. Yeah. One thing they haven't done much. I mean, we had that episode where they went back to earth to help with, you know, plans on Earth against changelings. But we haven't seen them do much on the station since. I mean, we know that they are doing blood tests, and sure, or doing phaser sweeps, but we've never actually seen that effect on the station. Like, yeah. we never had an episode, for example, where all of the people on the station get kind of rowdy and pissed off about having to do blood tests all the time. That would have been an interesting episode. You know, that's a great kind of episode for yeah what do you have when you have a population who's under th- threat and having to, you know, go through you know, some sort of test to prove themselves. They're under constant worry about, you know, being found as an imposter, etc. cetera. Um, so, so what's interesting that you brought that up because um, I know that you have not watched this show, but I have, and it was and the show I'm talking about is um, Babylon five. And um, one of the things that I noticed when you do it, cause people love to compare these two shows and there are a lot of similarities. Don't get me wrong. But um, one of the things that Star Trek does when, as it's reaching it, or far, not reaching, but, Following along in its story narrative here with this Dominion War arc and everything like that, it very much leans hard into the more militaristic aspect of um, the war and fighting the battle stuff. They do little bits to talk about like civilians at a certain level, but for the most part, we stick with our our officers right. and the 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 civilian stuff we get is more the officers when they have personal time or downtime. They're still officers. They're still trained. They still have this kind of militaristic background, but that's about as close as we get unless we're dealing with like Jake or something, you know? Whereas uh, on Babylon 5, they definitely leaned harder into the um, political details of minutia of things. And so I can remember episodes where, you know, again, when they had their own, you know, war story arc, people were upset about um, they were having curfews imposed and lockdowns and, you know, to, uh, travel to and from certain areas became restricted or impossible as the enemy ramped up their attacks and stuff. And they were having to deal with, you know, the fallout of that and people being, you know, uh, yeah, very upset and very, you know, um, scared and confused by it and having to not just be military personnel, but they also had to be leaders in this community that lived on their station. So um, I think it's interesting that, you know, had you watched that show, you probably would have picked up on that as well. But like, that is one of those things that 
um, I always highlight as a, as a major difference of the shows because everybody wants to talk about how much stuff was stolen from one or the other and who did whatever. But uh, despite their similarities, they are very different in what they present. And um, I think that both shows could have benefited from having certain aspects of either one in them. You know, like Babylon 5 would have done better if it had had a bit more of a militaristic bent than kind of going on this weird religious tangent that they do at one point. And then Deep Space Nine could have benefited from having more of the civilian impact. Like, see, let us see more of the political fallout from Kai Wen uh, not being both the Kai and the Prime Minister. Finding out more about uh, Prime Minister or First Minister Shakar's... Uh, first term in office and why he's not around um, and what happened to him after him and Kira supposedly broke up and uh, you know, something like that would have made the show um, added another layer and would have kept it. I think it would have actually made the show longer. You know, we probably would have gotten a season eight or nine out of it because we would have had more things to go over, you know, than what we get towards the end, which you'll see when we get there. (laughs) For sure. For sure. So now I've asked you, what do you feel like was your, you know, your most anticlimactic or, you know, moment here? What do you feel like was the best moment of the episode? What is something that stands out and you're just like, yeah, that was, that was great. That was done well. Um, I guess I'll say the Worf storyline is really kind of the peak then because, yes. yeah, because Worf, as we've both talked about before, Worf has at times been the punching bag. He's the guy mm-hmm. who's tough and he... Therefore, to show how tough the villains are, the aliens are, he gets put his, put in his place. He gets beat up all the time, yeah. yes. And the one we've always talked about is Counselor Troy, like, throwing him against the wall at one point when she's being embodied by some ghost aliens, so... Worst like, thing ever, she pinches his wrist and then throws him, and he's yeah. like, oh, and falls back. That's so awful. Or Michael Dorn having to play that, yeah. Having to pretend that this little woman hurt him. I mean, I, I mean... You couldn't kill uh, a fly if you knew you tried. Right. There you go. Yeah, anyways, I really feel like Worf in this episode, like, really comes into his own. Like, the fact that he single-handedly stands up through at least seven, maybe eight rounds of... Seven rounds that he wins, and then his eighth round is with the leader, Ikatika is his name. And the guy, it's it's interesting, because the the Jim Hadar guy says, I yield only because I'd had to kill this Klingon... Yeah, like it's. it's just, a, I can it's, only I can only kill him. I cannot defeat him. Right, uh, and that no longer holds my interest. Yeah, which is interesting, kind of like halfway point. Um, and then the 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 the, the, Varak, the Vorda, the Vorda, the Vorda yeah. guys like killed them both. And that's exactly both. when Warp yeah. gets beamed away, and so the Jim and our guy gets blasted. And I'm like, dude, you're stupid. Like, I I get that this whole like, oh, I I surrender, I I quit because I can't. I, I defeated him, but I can't kill him. Thing is kind of weird, but obviously he's quite the leader of these guys. I mean, I guess the whole point of the Jim Hadar is that they're easily replaceable. But so you want to hear my theory on this? Go ahead, go ahead. All right, and I and there's I've read nothing. I just made this up in watching these episodes and whatever else. The whole purpose of the Jem Hadar was the fact that they could be mass produced. They really were treated as commodities, the way we treat like cell phones, right? Sure. They they were for a purpose. And 
what the founders never wanted to have happen for the Jem'Hadar was for them to start to have a sense of identity, sense of community. They were just dead soldiers. That's why a lot of their um, rituals and litanies are all about how they're already dead. They don't have any value. Right. You are just here to be kind of our, our muscle, our cannon fodder. Right. So all that uh, to say that in the moments where the Jem'Hadar have shown any sense of independence or self-preservation, they've all been wiped out. Right. Think about it. When we saw that episode back when um, the Jem'Hadar attacked the station and Cisco and Worf and um, the you know Dax and all them had to partner up on the Defiant with the Jem'Hadar to go track them down because they had that Iconian gateway. Mm-hmm. The whole reason they were having to track them down was because those particular um, Jem'Hadar had broken away and were right. trying to establish a life beyond being Jem'Hadar soldiers. Right. And even those Jem'Hadar soldiers sent to hunt them down stayed on the planet because they recognized, uh, remember because it was the first Ameticlan, he recognized yeah. that even he was different and that they were not going to be accepted. So they were going to stay on this planet and hunt each other until they die. Right. When when Bashir and O'Brien crash landed on that planet and that one Jem'Hadar was trying to get them to figure out why he was able to survive without oh, that Ketracel White going into him and he wanted him to replicate that for all the other Jem'Hadar, he was doing it because he wanted his people to have a place where they weren't dependent on the founders. Right. And that's what that was the whole goal. And of course it didn't work and they all ended up fighting each other until they died. And so we get to this episode here and we have um, Ikatika trying to train these other soldiers, but Worf presents a very unique challenge in the sense that Worf is driven by his sense of duty and honor. And he's not a mindless killing machine. And so he, by way of fighting and defeating many of them, he starts to infect them with this idea of honor. Right. And uh, I think that's what happens here. We, we're watching the transformation of this Jem'Hadar, and he's a leader. He's an influential member in his own sect, with his own group here. And he is acknowledging that he cannot defeat this this warrior. Right, And by spreading that message around, it becomes dangerous. He becomes kind of the problem. And that's why the Vorta says to kill him. Because he recognizes that that's a strain in them that they have been trying to eliminate. And we've we've seen that recurring theme there. So they don't want them to identify with their enemy. They don't want them to adapt to any of the customs and cultures of the enemy. They want them to stay in this very one-dimensional, you-are-can-fodder-only mindset. Right. Yeah, and I imagine that really, uh, the way I would put it, is that any empathy shown by the Jim Hadar to anyone, including a person that they're beating up and is on the ground right now. Worf is on the ground. He's trying to get up. He does put his hand on the thing. But any empathy, boom, you're gone. Like, you've, you've lost your purpose. So, yeah, it, it, it does make sense from a, like, yeah, these are mindless killing machines. That's all they're good for. It's just interesting. It's like, if I was told by a superior officer to just kill one of my, like, like, a commanding officer, and then I have like the the guy who's like above that, and this guy says kill this guy because he's getting out of line. I'd be like, well, 
if you want to kill this guy, then what about me? <laughs> like, you're going to kill me in an instant. And that's exactly right. But that's just how it works. So, <laughs> And that's also been a feature of, of Star Trek is how the chain of command works. And why you see even no matter where you fall in the chain of command, you still have a conscience. You have the ability to object and to report and, you know, do those kinds of things. But I think that's why the Jem'Hadar represents such a unique aspect of Trek, because all of that has been completely erased for them. They are to 100% commit and obey the founders and, by extension, the Vorta. They're not supposed to take anything else into consideration. And anytime we see any of them deviate from that, they die. They almost always die. And, um, you know, I think that's what we're seeing here is that in action. Like, that's why the Vorta... You know, unfortunately, he had no issue with ordering the others to kill their leader, and they did it. They did it without hesitation mm-hmm. because they don't have they don't have a sense of culture. They don't have an identity. They weren't raised understanding that it's okay to question some things or not. They were bred. They were, some of them are only you know weeks old because they're fast you know yeah. fast grown or whatever it is like so for them season three i think it was with that yes. one Hadar that they had on the stage the baby time, yeah. yeah who was turned into quite An the handful for odo yeah yeah. <laughs> Very quick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah keep going but yeah i mean i think that's what i think that's what we're seeing here is what happens when you can totally strip away that sense of culture and identity and just turn people into um killers you know and so we see what happens when they come into contact with a very strong cultural presence, which is what Worf symbolizes. And then also what happens when you have that absolute authority right there, given order. So we got to see both. Um, I really, I really did like that scene. And I also, uh, I, I, I'm going to keep talking about Worf because I feel like the worst thing that ever happened to Worf was Alexander. Before that, he was, he was amazing. He was a great character. And I feel like sad, saddling him with this kid that is just, the worst. I mean, it's it's one of the main things that really holds Worf back from being a truly, you know, uniquely great character. Um, Alexander doesn't add a dimension to Worf. He subtracts from what Worf already is. And so when we remove the Alexander element from it, you have a truly phenomenal character. He's honor-driven. He is loyal. He is dutiful. He, um, he's, he's so many wonderful, wonderful qualities that you know, later get echoed in a lot of other sci-fi, which I could think of two that have characters like him. Um, and we'll, Sam, we'll talk about those. In a, uh, well, of course, they're uh, Battlestar Galactica okay. and, of course, Stargate. Um, Stargate does it twice, as a matter of fact, with Stargate <laughs> SG-1 and Stargate Atlantis. But, yeah, both of those characters are straight rips on Worf. I don't care what anybody says. Teal... <laughs> Tilk and Ronan are ribs on Worf, absolutely, and right. uh, kind of an amalgam of some other characters. But yeah, uh, there you go. There you go. So, yeah, I just I love the character, and I did love these scenes, and I love the connection that he formed with Martok here um, right. in this in this bit. So, right. well, I'll say it again. I've said it a million times, but uh, again, I don't remember her name because it doesn't stick in my head. But the Half Klingon woman. Kalar. Kalar. I knew Kalis was not the right one because Kalis is, is their. The uh, god. Well, like he was their leader. Who the then, first like, leader. Yeah, who like took on a godlike status. But anyway, her character was great. The Alexander storyline 
was was yeah i agree it's botched i mean i don't think he's even been mentioned if, but maybe once here on deep space nine at all and uh that's because he just was it was a drag on warp as a character he can't be a father and this klingon warrior at the same time or at least not in his situation um so it's too bad i mean the idea of having a kid makes sense i mean whether it was you know alexander or something else coming along I mean, obviously, his work for Cisco is, is, is what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Alexander was always this weird situation for Worf, and it it was always kind of a hard thing for him to try and work around. I think it's interesting that you just mentioned Cisco there because I realized that the main difference between Worf and the way he's presented as a father versus Cisco is totally about the time in which it was done. Mm-hmm. Worf was made a father in this weird, you know, late 80s transitional time period and having this kind of single father dynamic was unheard of. But then you flash forward about 10 years and here we are doing it with Cisco and a lot of things have changed culturally for us. Right. Uh, I mean the United, in the United States and the world at large and how we view those things. And so um, yeah, by the mid '90s, this idea of this, you know, single father was was still kind of alien, and especially with the whole uh, black father dynamic. But at the same time, we were more accustomed to seeing black fathers on television before Cisco. We hadn't really seen that yet, and we were now kind of used to it with um, the Cosby Show, Fresh Prince of Bel Air, Family Matters. All of these shows were featuring strong positive black role models um both men and women and um and the father-son dynamic was kind of the major one of all of those shows all three of those shows so yeah um i think that's why there's i think that we can see that disconnect and kind of the evolution of how that's portrayed in trek through that timeline as well right i just want to say it now because you brought it up but i loved the cosby show as a kid i mean we didn't watch it like regularly because by by the time i was young enough to really watch it and enjoy it it'd been off the air but you know reruns i mean i i still love it so much that part of me would still want to watch it again but i'm man the cloud on it man just gosh. yeah yeah the yeah the shadow cast on that show is um hard to beat i am right there with you i loved the cosby show i watched it um not faithfully growing up but i mean it was one of those um we watched it frequently enough. We followed yeah. along with it frequently enough, you know? Right. And as I aged, you know, you, there were, like you said, there's reruns and things would pop up. And now, you know, thanks to YouTube and various other things, you can catch episodes or little snippets here and there. And there are some really great moments on that show that are just timeless television. And yeah, it does suck what, you know, Bill Cosby did and was doing and all that kind of stuff. But man, if you can just separate that out from yeah. the show and just watch Tell it. Tell us how you can do it if you can do it because, man, that's the well, I Well, so what I, what I have done um, to go back and watch some of it is I focus on other characters. That helps a lot because, I mean, yes, you know, Bill Cosby's uh, Heathcliff Huxtable um, is a major part of, of the show. But there were a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of episodes that he's not the main focal point of. Yeah. And those you can still go back and enjoy. And even when he is in those episodes, it's so tangential to whatever else is going on that it's still easy to kind of like not pay too much attention if you find him 
problematic or bothersome or whatever. Some people don't. Some people are like, no, I'm going to, you know, wrap this show in a bubble and it's completely contained from whatever Bill Cosby was doing. Um, If that's how you want to do it, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, argue with people or whatever it is, but that's how I got to watching certain things like Felicia, Felicia Rashad, who who plays Claire. Of course, she does a fantastic job. There are some great episodes with her, um, especially when she kind of comes down on the kids for like their extreme things that they do. It's great stuff. Um, the family moments with like the grandparents and the various musical guests that come through the show are also great things to watch um, still. So yeah. that's how I do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I haven't, you know, obviously it's not on TV anywhere. So you, no, you have no, to, it's not. I don't even know where anyone can watch it at all and then just have it copy it yourself. But yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you brought it up, so I want well, to say I, yeah. I, I miss it. <laughs> so, since we're talking about villainous people, this would be a great time <laughs> to talk about our favorite, Goldie Cott. Yeah, yeah. This slimy, snaky, son of a... Ooh, man, yeah. so much. So much we could say about the awfulness of Goldie Cott. Yeah. Um, really puts a... <laughs> Like a pin in that whole, like, you need to come with me to his daughter in the last episode. Yeah, yeah, right. Last episode, he was like, I know things are going to be changing. You have to just trust me. Oh, why why is that, changing, But I'm about to be leader of the Cardassians here in five minutes, so. Are they changing because you're a traitor? Oh, okay, okay. That makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. And then in this episode, he says that he no longer considers her his daughter, like he's disowning her, which is crazy because it was just last season that he was betraying almost everything he. Right, like, he like, was his family and his reputation to go save right. her. He was made uh, an outcast because he went to go and save Zia, or no, that he that he did save her because his original mission was to go and kill her. That's but true. by choosing to save her, by choosing to keep her alive, that's what made him the outcast. Right, and so after all that, he's just like, as far as I'm concerned, I have no daughter. Yeah. Mm. I feel like uh, Gul Dukat is a pretty good example of a character who will flip-flop on any issue if it, as long as it is in his interest. So I don't think he is going to disown her until the moment where he decides not to. So Right, she's disowned until it's convenient for her to not be disowned. Or he just, yeah, or, like, or this whole situation turns on its head, now he needs her again, and he needs to yeah. make good... Yeah, as soon as he needs to suck up to Kira, he'll be like, I how's my dis- daughter doing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> he'll be he'll be that jerk he'll say make a statement like i never disowned you in my heart yes yeah. you were always oh. still here yeah that'll That's be so, him that is him yeah he got it down <laughs> perfectly but kira says the next time she sees him she's gonna kill him and no one bats an eye when she says it no one said no <laughs> not at all cisco it's like um cisco your first officer just said she was gonna murder someone ah you know what are you gonna mean- what are you going to do, man? After me. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> She's especially not going to Especially because Gold Ducat opens that conversation he has after he's now taking control of Cardassian. He's like, I know you saved my life a time or two, but I want to let you he's know. Like, don't remind me. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what he says. Uh, yeah, don't remind me. And he's like, yep, I'm coming for the station. You can either get out now or I'm taking it by force. And it turns out the actual plan is to just let him burn in a giant ball of fire known as the sun. So, okay. We Um, don't really want it. We just don't want you to have it. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. And I love his speech where he's all uh, 
You know, we, this is great for Cardassia. We're going to be equals with the Dominion. And then at the same time, he's, like, talking about how we're going to reclaim all the things that we lost. I mean, if any leader came to me and said, we've lost all this stuff and we're put down and my new buddies are going to bring me all my stuff back, bring us all our stuff back, I'd be like, they're not equals. They're the ones who are doing all the hard work. They're the ones who are going to make – like, we're now their – bad word you know we're now there what you know what so uh you know we're their foot soldiers yeah well, we're there yeah we're their There's, next row of cannon fodder we're, i feel like cole ducat wouldn't last long especially now that he's proven that his five-day plan fell apart already so i feel like gold ducat's gonna have to come back to the station pretty quick with his tail between his legs like now <laughs> So the interesting thing about Gold Ducat is he has a unique way of reframing everything to be some kind of win for him, some kind of advantage. You know, he's a great politician. And um, when it comes to his, not his political, but his military prowess, it's more he strikes at you because you hurt him, not because it was strategically sound to strike at you. And um, everything, a lot of what he does is kind of from that uh, standpoint. Now it's interesting that we watched because initially in the in the buildup between you know season one to now, a lot of what we were seeing with Ducat kind of made him mm, morally ambiguous at best. You know, he we knew that he was at least a past enemy, and we understood there were still some hostilities between Cardassians and Bajorans and so forth. But from what we were seeing, most of the time he was just kind of advocating for his people however annoyingly he was doing it but that's what he was doing right. you know and we even watched when he was trying to save his people from when the klingons initially attacked as a season four you know when they were um the klingons were doing the blood screenings on everybody and knew about the coup on the uh cardassian homeworld and he was escaping with them on that transport ship um, again, we've seen him with his daughter and the change of heart he had about her and being very protective of her and even overprotective and stuff like that. So again, you're just like, you know that he's got some bad in him, but he's, it looks like he's been trying to work on some kind of, you know, reform to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. And then for all that to be just jettisoned out the nearest airlock and him just being like us on the same side didn't seem right. Yeah. did it you're like no it didn't you're absolutely <laughs> right i've been waiting to hate you for a long time thanks for giving me a reason yeah so, but he and i can he still see such him, a great though. job i can still see that slimy son of a gun still finding kira at some point in the future in a corridor somewhere and being like hey bygones be bygones eh? yeah. hey hey <laughs> You're not pregnant anymore, so yeah. uh gosh. Yeah. Woo-wee. Yeah. So Goldie Cod is definitely um uh an interesting villain that we've seen. <laughs> now, there is some behind the scenes stuff uh, uh, in regards to Gold Ducat. You know, there there was a lot of speculation a long time ago about the sudden about this sudden shift and people were saying it was a last minute um change, but according to the writers and the writing staff it was always their intention that Gold Ducat was going to be the bad guy. Um there was never 
you know, they were never really leaning hard into this whole notion of him being a reformed, you know, former Cardassian oppressor or anything right. like that. They definitely wanted him to be this person who um, was all about power, all about status, very much aware of what he had lost and very ambitious in trying to get it all back. And that's kind of the consistent thing that we've seen with Ducat. He's all about trying to elevate himself a little bit more than the last time that we saw him. Right. A little bit more than, you know, what we what he had beforehand. So right. um, they've been consistent on that, even though the way that he's gone about it has been just kind of all over the board. Anything and everything that comes across as an opportunity for him to improve his status in some way, whether that's militarily or personally or incredibly personally, like when he was trying to seduce Kira. Uh, just... Whatever. Um, but yeah, it was always always something along those lines. Yeah. But I like Ducat as a villain. I, yeah, I do. Yeah, no, like, you got to have good villains yeah. and have good storylines. So, I mean, I'll, I'll just go ahead and say it. Unfortunately, one of the problems, of course, of, of you know trying to study, like learn details about the show is, like, I, I, I read something about the Cardassians were going to be joining up with the with the Dominion at some point, and so when it happened, I wasn't surprised. Well, stop doing that, David. I know. I'm trying. I'm trying not to read too far ahead. Like, but it's the problem is like in the notes on like Wikipedia or something will be like this episode ties into the one where I was like, ah, damn it! <laughs> like, stop it. Yeah, stop doing like, that. I know. You I know. are not allowed to look ahead yet. Oh. You're going to have to just wait. Well, and I feel like on. at this point, I don't know anything else other than Worf and, Q- and Dax being a couple and that being what it is, but I don't know anything else. So okay. well, feel cut it like out. at this point, cut it out. I truly am ready and free from all other details and plot lines. Okay. So, um, well, cut it out because <laughs> next, next week's episode is another yeah, banger. Kind of a kind of a wacky one. Oh, so okay. we'll see. Speaking of wacky, well, I love that um, uh, Quark's one saving grace. One scene, yeah, yeah, with Zial. Zial, he's like, oh man, the Jem'Hadar and the Changelings don't like food, sleep, or sex. I am screwed. And she's like, well, what about the Vardok or what is it? The, the Vorda. Vorda. The there Vorda. we go. And he's like, oh, yeah, maybe you're right. I wonder what their favorite food is. Yeah. That's what Quark he says. He says, no the, Gem- he said, the Jem'Hadar do not eat, drink, or have sex. The Changelings also don't eat, drink, or have sex. That's going to be very bleak for my bottom line. <laughs> and she says, well, for all we know, the Vorda are gluttonous, alcoholic sex maniacs. <laughs> That's exactly what she says. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> and he says, I wonder what their favorite food is. Yeah. He's, he's classic for again. Yeah. Classic for He's uh, uh, yeah, yeah. He's he's got no allegiance to anybody but the dollar, um, or the gold press latinum. I the gold. Say. There you go. Yeah. Well, final thoughts on uh, this this episode oh, here. Oh, I, I was gonna say we should talk about Garrick real quick because oh, y'all... Yeah, we didn't. Yes, yeah. we need. Okay, so this is not final thoughts. We do need to talk about Garrick and suffering in uh, the wall there. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So. I would just lead with, as I said before, um, the actor Andrew Robinson also suffers from claustrophobia. And also, for uh, during this week when they were doing the filming for this episode, apparently he had a really bad flu. So the the all of it was coming together here for him Poor to guy. give him some rather <laughs> excellent scenes. So the sweaty. 
uh, struggling, all of that stuff. That was that was real. You can't fake that. That's talent right there. Right. He was doing some things, working that flu for all it was worth. So. <laughs> yeah, he definitely. Uh, it's always funny when characters talk out loud to themselves because you know, obviously, when we when we talk to ourselves, I don't imagine many of us talk out loud all that often. Maybe when you're in private, of course. I'm not, in private, I'm sure people. I mean, I certainly say this myself, but like I'll admit the, it. I, the out I loud so monologue. Yeah. You give oh yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. I don't do that, but I, I don't know. Do you? Do you answer yourself like, like Sometimes. the way I, the way I say that is like you, you have your own internal monologue going on here, right? Right. And so then you might ask yourself a question in your brain, but then you respond vocally. Do you have you ever done that? I'm sure I have. I mean, it sounds like you do that more often than I, I do it. Oh yeah. yeah. I've done it to the point where I've had, you know, like, you know, my, my daughter or somebody walking by will be like, what did you say to me? Because I'll, cause I'll just, like, say something like my favorite one that I can think of is fairly recent where I was trying to come up with a shopping list. And then I was in my head debating something on the shopping list. And so I finally got around to working out what I needed to do. And so I answered out loud. And I was like, I mean, I guess. That's what I just said it out loud. But right. I'm walking <laughs> through the house, and I have not right. said a word. Right. So just out of nowhere, you just hear, I mean, I guess. And <laughs> it's like, are you talking to me? No. Are you on the phone? No. It's just, no. what's going if on over there? <laughs> if I talk out loud, it's, I'm not in private. It's, it's like at work. Like, um my my store is the one that gets the phone call routed to um so i take a lot of calls at least more than the average store in terms of like fielding fielding calls that come from the website for example yeah i mean there are times that i'm like dang it another call <laughs> say that out loud before i answer get get any frustration out oh, before i yeah. answer the call answer um but one of my favorite things to do, of course, is like have an argument in the mirror. Like, if I was to talk to this one person, this is what I'd say to them. And the mirror gets my full <laughs> version of, of how things mm-hmm. would go. Um, uh, yeah, I've lost myself plenty of times in a mirror conversation. <laughs> you, so you start one in one room, and then you start walking, and then you end up in the bathroom, and you catch your own eye. Yeah. And then you're like, and then I would disagree. And then you're like, oh, wait. Um, you're crazy. Just leave. <laughs> Just get out of here. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly right. But but Garrick here in this scene, um, monologuing, he his focal point becomes the light, the wires that are sticking out. He uh, goes off on them for having the nerve to go off on him. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> there are five lights, I believe, in that little mm-hmm. string of lights. But uh, <laughs> yeah. What lights? What lights? <laughs> Yeah, at one point, he's uh, the lights go out and he starts banging on the walls to get him to come back on. And they have Bashir has to go in there and tell him, "Hey, uh, you're making noise. Make too you're much noise. Attention. What's going on?" And the scene where the Jim Hadar come in and uh, they get into a little firefight was interesting because uh, the Breen who was sitting in the back the whole time, like the camera kept panning over to that to that Breen character. I felt like something was going to happen, and finally something did. Like the Breen steps up, takes a gun, and starts shooting, and then gets phasered out himself all at once. Mm-hmm. But I felt like there was going to be some sort of reveal with the Breen. 
Oh, you thought they were going to take their helmet off and see yeah, what was underneath there? So, yeah. And part of the reason I thought that, I have to say, is because that Breen helmet looks a lot like Princess Leia's helmet from the uh, the Return of the Jedi in the opening uh, Job of the Hut palace scene. Okay. Other than it being like a white color versus the like orange from Star Star Wars, but I was like. Man, because I forgot that was a Breen character until the Romulan woman said, you know, never turn your back on a Breen. But that was a Breen. We yeah. saw the Breen as the uh, enslavers of um, Ziao uh, way Ziao. back. That's what it was. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So as soon as she said Breen, I was like, oh, I remember who they are. But for, for, the ha- for a half moment, I was like, we got a Star Wars reference in here? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. The Breen are an interesting race. We know so little about them, mm. you know, and, um, you know, the, the, even the information that we have is contradictory. Like, we're told that the Breen homeworld is frigid. It's a freezing cold wasteland. Yet, on some other instances, it's kind of reported as opposite, like a sand pit or, or you know. Um, so it's just like, which which is it? And then it's, can the Breen... That the Breen don't tolerate heat well, and yet we've seen them in desert climates. Right. You know, so it's just like, um, what is, what's the, what's the deal here? Well, and then, as far as I know, so. right. And as far as I know, we have never seen a Breen without, on, without their stuff on, yeah. on Trek. Yeah. That would be an interesting enemy to pop up in some of the newer Treks. And for them to do a reveal as to what, what the Breen look like under there, you know, because as, yeah, as far as I know, we've never seen it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now, I guess, um, any other final thoughts? <laughs> Trying to make sure we covered everything. Uh, yeah, we I really think we have. Yeah, There's Jax. only one thing we need to talk about. <laughs> What's that? Our contest. Ah, yes, yes. So we do have a winner, um, and our winner is with us tonight. <laughs> um, Vincent, wherever you are, you are the winner of our uh, Star Trek Medallion contest. Um, so congratulations! Uh, thanks for participating. Thanks for doing everything that we said to do in order to enter, and then obviously to to win. Um, so now the next part that we need to do is get your contact information so that we can actually send you the uh, medallion. Okay, um, so just uh, let me know. Um, the address that you are comfortable giving to us so we can send the thing to you. And again, you don't have to pay for anything. You don't have to do anything other than give me that address and we will uh, send it out to you. Um, I'll also, once once it's uh, shipped, I'll give you the information so that you can, you know, follow along with that and know when it's coming and so forth. But again, congratulations and thank you for following along with us and participating in our contest. And hopefully other people will do the same. Um, I don't know when we're going to do another contest, but we'll keep you posted on that as well. So, um, uh, Vincent, uh, the best way to reach us, to give us that information would be through Facebook. You can find us Ask the Fire Caves, of course. Just send us a message identifying yourself and um, giving us your address, and then we will go from there. Um, There is an email address. Um, give me just a brief moment because I wasn't prepared for you to ask me that question. <laughs> and I will 
Let me pull that up for you real quick. Yeah, and while he's doing that for Vincent, I'll yes. just mention to everybody that uh, next week we're going to do our uh, first contact uh, review. So we're going to take a quick break from uh, Deep Space Nine for a week. I'm going to be out of town, which is why. So we've already recorded our first contact review. Um, fun to see the change of, of scenery and the suits. You know, we've been seeing on Deep Space Nine the change of their suits, but uh, that was kind of premiered in the first contact film. Um, we get to see Worf uh, join back up with the Enterprise crew with the Defiant briefly. Uh, right now on D Space Nine, the events of First Contact have passed where we are. As of last week, people will remember that uh, they mentioned that they had a recent Borg encounter. So, uh, in terms of First Contact's you know placement in the chrono- chrono- chronology, must have been sometime before last episode, if, if not just before the last episode. Um, so yeah, it's been fun to keep up with the old Enterprise crew. Uh, the new Enterprise E, right, uh, Perry? Yes. The Enterprise E they have. Yes. Uh, man, the and we we say it in the in the review, but man, the the stuff they do to make the Borg more just kind of creepy and to show how awful it is to be assimilated is is taken up a notch from what we got on the show, which is fun to see the the light horror elements get a little more, um, you know, play, if you will. Uh, so yeah, and. I mean, I haven't seen the Picard TV show that's come out in the last few years. I'll get to that when I get to that. But I know that some of what happens there, I guess, has to do with the Borg. I mean, again, don't spoil anything for me, I guess. But I'm looking forward to getting back to seeing that at some point. I mean, if we have about two and a half seasons left of Deep Space Nine, I'll probably go to Voyager and then maybe skip ahead to Picard after watching Voyager or something. Because um, I know that what seven of nine is a main character in the Picard yeah. show, so would hate for any storyline with that character to be missed because I hadn't watched Voyager yet. Um, so yeah, that'll be next week for everybody. I am. I promise I'm not stalling. I, we do have an email address. Um, it was used. Uh, it's it's used sparingly, to be completely honest. Um, <laughs> Interesting enough, like apparently, like whenever we get emails or we get messages through um, uh, Facebook, it also populates to our email. So that's what I'm trying to uh, find right now because I don't want to say it's just thefirecaves.com because that is, I don't think that's 100% correct. But at the same time, I think that. I think that that is right. So I'm just trying to I'm trying to double check to be sure <laughs> before I say which one that it is, right? And then um, go from there, right? So I don't yeah. know why I can't find this thing because I just was checking all of it recently, right? Um, uh, <laughs> sorry. Fun way to end the episode. <laughs> what did it end? No, no, I'm just saying this is the end of our episode. Now, is if, if we're if we're talking about figuring out an email, this is how. Uh, this yes. Okay. Concludes. So yeah, this is we have the episode concludes. I'm I'm very sorry. I didn't want to. I don't want to prolong this. Um, I Vincent. I don't know if you're still in our chat or not. Hopefully you are, or you can always go and watch this episode. If you can, um, try to send a, a message through. Um, 
Facebook or even YouTube, I will look for you and 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 contact you and get your information. Okay, I I think that it does just kind of auto syncs everything to us. I'm sorry, I did not have that for you. I, I don't know why I didn't think about it. Um, I think um, a DM on YouTube. I, I think that's possible to do direct okay. on YouTube. So I think that's true too, because I but I haven't done it in a while. So um, yeah, but if if that's the case, then yeah, just drop us the message on uh, YouTube and give us your details, and then we'll send everything out to you. Okay. Uh, I do apologize for that. I'll be better <laughs> about contests and having necessary contact information later. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Well, um, now that we got that taken care of, a couple of quick um, updates. As David said, we will not be here next week. You will be able to um, listen to our uh, After Dark about uh, First Contact. You can also um, look forward to us doing another After Dark in which we will be um, talking about Nemesis Games, the fifth book in the Expanse series. Um you can watch all episodes of Trek on Paramount Plus, except for Prodigy, of course. All of that's been shifted to Netflix. And the newest Trek, um, or not the newest one, but Discovery, will be finishing its final season, and that is supposed to be coming out in um, April. So that's going to be it for us tonight. You can find us and follow us anywhere you happen to do your uh, social medias, and listen to us anywhere you happen to listen to podcasts. I do it on Spotify. So until next week, guys, take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys.